Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. Here the author is recording the words of a man named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is speaking when he says in verse 11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this day you have given us. Lord, I pray, Lord, that right now, Lord, that we just, all distractions will cease from our minds and our phones and everything. Lord, and for these next few moments that our ear would be in tune with your voice, that our eyes would be locked up on you, and that this word would take root in our soul and become like fire shut up in our bones. I thank you today for what you've already done and what you're going to do the rest of this day. And the church said amen. I was watching a video. It came across on social media one day, and I believe it was uh, um, an advertisement for an upcoming documentary on ESPN. And it was showing um, what happens during the off-season of sports. Uh, the off-season is a very important season. Sometimes we just get so caught up with what is happening on the field. But when they're not on the field, things are going on. And this off-season uh, that we are in, it will often, the off-season will often predict the on-season. The off-season, what you are doing in preparation will often predict what is going to happen in the next season of your life. And this session that I was watching just a few moments, uh, I was watching um, and was, it, it, was, it was focusing on a player uh, that had excelled in the previous season. They had done great things. I mean, he had, I believe he broke a, a school record, a personal record. And he was, it was, he was showing what he goes through in the offseason. And he was at a physical, and he was telling uh, the physician, he was telling the physical therapist that was there, she had him laid on a table, and she's pushing all these points. And he was talking somehow between his last game of the regular season and where he was in the offseason. He began to have pains in his lower back. Uh, and this man was, of course, an athlete. You looked at him, and you could tell he was in tip-top shape. His physique, most people in the room would be like, sure, I would love to have that. I mean, he was buff. He, he, everything looked good on him, but he was, he, was in ex, he was experiencing a pain that he could not see, but he could feel it greatly. And while he was having this physical, uh, the therapist set him up on a very intense uh, exercise plan that was targeting his core, uh, his his stomach region and legs. He, it, it was targeting his core, and whenever she was telling him how intense this was going to be, he had this look on his face, and this young man looked up at the physical therapist and respectfully reminded her that his pain was not in his abs, but his pain was actually in his back. And the therapist just kind of laughed, and the therapist looks at this athlete and tells him, I'm, prescri I'm prescribing these exercises for your core. Your back is hurting because your core is actually weak. So if you are wanting to alleviate the pain in your back, you have to be willing to go through the process to strengthen your core. 
I don't know about you, but you need to understand that sometimes things are hurting in one area because we are actually weak in another. Anybody understand? You can be hurting in one area, but that's really not the problem. The problem is an area that you really are not focused on. In other words, we can be hurting emotionally, but but it's not our emotions that are the problem. We can be hurting relationally, but our relationships are not the problem. We can be hurting professionally, but it's not our job that is the real issue. And, and why? Because sometimes you hurt in one area because you are actually weak in another area. And you need to understand this because what your core is to your body, your spirituality is to your life. What your core is to your body that holds you up and lets you move around. Your spirituality is to your daily life. And understand this, that the enemy, the devil himself, is after your core. He is after your spiritual walk. He is after your relationship with the Lord. You thought he was after your marriage, but he's really after your core. You thought he was after your job, but he's really after your core. You thought he was after your finances, but he's really after your core. And the devil, get this, the devil will always use uh, something he will always use external things to get into your internal because if he can get into your internal, he can mess with your eternal. I said the devil will always use external to get into your internal because if he can mess with your internal, he can mess with your eternal. Amen. He can mess up where you spend eternity when you let him inside of you. And the devil, he, he even messed with Job's resources, but that's not what he was after. He was after his relationship. He messed with Job's ass assets, but guess what? He did not want that. He wanted his core. He wanted his spiritual walk. He wanted everything that he had with the Lord. And now the enemy wants you to live your life chasing the pain in your back instead of addressing the real issue in your spiritual walk. And there are a lot of Christians that have this problem, but their root problem is their core. They feel like they have something. They feel like they have issues, but the real problem is their core. And they've tried new relationships, but, 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 but there's always a problem. They try new jobs, but it's always the boss's fault. They try, they, they, they've been to every church in town, and, 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 no, and no pastor can feed them. No prophet can, can, can prophesy enough. And you, you keep seeing this cycle in their life. But the real issue is that their core is weak, and the enemy wants you to live with misplaced priorities. He wants you to believe that everybody else is the problem, but your core is weak. This athlete that was needing this therapy, the problem was not that he wasn't working out. The problem was that he was working out only things he could see. He was working out what was visible. He was working out everything except that thing that was causing the problem. And so often we work out and we focus on the visible. We focus on what people can see so it is pleasing to others. Because how many of you know it's so tempting and so easy to skip leg day? And you know nobody can see your chicken legs because you can wear pants that day. And nobody will see it. But if they look up here, they can see your arms and your shoulders and, 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 and your chest. And so we don't skip uh, arm day and chest day because we want it 
people to be able to see that we've been working out. You want it to be visibly impressive. And this athlete was doing that. So many in the church are doing that. Amen. They invest time and they invest resources in the things that you can see. But they cannot even function from day to day because they have forsaken making an investment into their core. I see your new house, but how is your core? I see your new shoes and your new Jordans, but how is your core? I see your new ride with with rims and it's bumping and everything, but how is your core? I see it, I see it, but how is your core? We can spend an hour in the gym but cannot spend five minutes in the Word. We can spend an hour in the gym but get a little... mm, after an hour and 15 minutes in church and we wonder why our back is hurting and why the world is falling apart on us and how we get stuck in this cycle again. Let me tell you, you sure do look good on Instagram, but how is your core? How is your walk? But I don't know about you, but as we are in these 100 days, we, if you don't know it, we've been in 100 days to the Lord. We've been praying for 100 days. It ends on um, um, Palm Sunday, and we've been fasting for 100 days, and we're reading, reading our word. All of this is on our website. You can get reading plans, all of those things for your kids and everybody. And we've been doing this, and we've been praying. And I am believing that in these 100 days that God is resetting the church's priorities. Amen. I'm believing that God is going to reset your priorities. I believe that he's bringing us into alignment with his word and with his will and with his spirit because you've been Chasing the back pain long enough. You've been trying to get rid of the leg pain long enough, but God is revealing his truth to the church, and he's saying it's in your core. It's in your core. You look good on the outside, and everything looks good on social media, but it's your core, and I don't care if you have a title. Guess what? You still need to worry about your core. I don't care how how high up you get up on the ladder. You still need to pay attention to your core because when you get your core in order, The things that used to hurt you will not hurt you any longer. The people who gossiped about you, that gossip will not get inside of you any longer. Those that lied about you, it will not even bother you any longer. The things that used to break you will not be able to break you any longer. I don't know about you, but I'm declaring the breaking season is over for the house of the Lord. I'm declaring that it's over for your house. It's over for this house. You you may bend, but you're not going to break. You may fall, but you will not stay down. Amen. Why? You are more than a conqueror through him that has loved you. The devil may come against you, but guess what? You will not break. You may you may want to quit this week, but I am praying that the wind of the Holy Spirit starts blowing at your back and pushes you right across the finish line. Why? He's pushing you into a new level of glory. He's pushing you into a new level of productivity. Why? When you strengthen your core. There's a word In this verse that I read today, for those that have a strong core that describes them, those that have a healthy and intimate relationship with the Lord, and that word is fire. How many times have we prayed, Lord, set me on fire? Am I the only one? Anybody? We pray, Lord, set me on fire. What does that mean? It means ignite something in me. Let me walk more like you. Let me be more like you. Let me, let me be in tune with the Spirit. Set me on fire. And we see this image of fire reflecting the Holy Spirit 
all throughout Scripture. In the book of Acts, the metaphor of fire is used to describe the descent of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, a lot of people feel that the Holy Spirit wasn't around until Acts. But no, all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the Old Testament, you see, you see reflections of the Spirit. In the Old Testament, we see the presence of God manifested as He's leading the children of Israel. And the Word says it was like a cloud by day, but at night it was like a pillar of fire. Because fire throughout the Scripture has been used as a metaphor of the presence of God. And John the Baptist is speaking here in this verse. John was a man who knew his purpose. John understood the assignment. He knew what he was called to do. He knew what God had, why God had put him in the wilderness. He knew what he was supposed to say, when he was supposed to say it, how he was going to say it. He understood. He understood what he was called to do. And understand this, so often there are a lot of people in the church world that are living with stolen purposes. They look at someone else's purpose. They look at how someone else, how God has used someone else, and they say, I want that. I want to sing like that. I want to preach like that. I want to be able to do this. I want to be able to do that. And we're walking around with somebody else's purpose. They are looking at their neighbor's purpose and say, well, that would be good if it happened to me. And they see what someone else has and what they've done and they try to imitate another person's purpose. But John was here and he was different. He knew his purpose. He knew his assignment. And he didn't care what anybody else thought about him. He owned what God had called him to do. He was like, look, I don't dress like the other priests, but yet I am one. I don't have their garments. People are talking about the way I'm dressing because I don't even look like one of those people. I'm not doing ministry like they're doing it or where they're doing it. He was like, I'm not even eating the shoe bread in the temple. I'm not going into the temple and eating the shoe bread that's on the table. But instead, God has me out here in the wilderness and I'm eating locusts and wild honey. He did not get caught up in the art of comparison. He did not get caught up with jealousy because God put him in the wilderness and then God put some other people in a comfy tabernacle no and then here comes this new kid on the block whose name is Jesus his name is Jesus and the disciples of John listen all of a sudden went from disciples and turned into a bunch of old cranky church folk anybody know any of those don't point And they're like, John, hold up. Who's this new kid? Who's this Jesus? All of a sudden, now he's baptizing people. Now he's teaching. Multitudes are following him. Like old church folk, they didn't like it if growth was happening to another church. Don't you ever hate on another church. Don't you do it. If they're in the wrong, you let the Lord judge them. Ah, oh, 
he's multiplying. The multitudes are coming. I don't understand. I, I, don't, I don't get it. All these people were getting his attention, and all these people were starting to gravitate toward Jesus. And John looks at his disciples, knowing his purpose, and he tells them, get this. He said, he must increase, but I've got to decrease. He who comes from heaven is above all. He said, guess what? He's got to increase, but before he can increase, you and I, we've got to decrease. Let me tell you something. If you want the fire of God in your life, he's got to increase, but before he can get in to you, guess what? You've got to decrease. You've got to purge yourself. You've got to get rid of some things. He said, he's going to increase. That means I've got to decrease. He understood his assignment. He understood his purpose. He said, his word said, I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. I've been sent to prepare the way for him. This kind of behavior only comes when the core is strong and in alignment. He not only stood, understood his role, he understood Jesus' role. He said, indeed, I'm, I'm going to baptize you with water. I'm going to bring you into this relationship. But there's one coming that is mightier than I. He said, I'm not it. It don't stop here. It just keeps on getting better. Keeps on getting better. You thought when you were saved, it was over. No, it just keeps on getting better. You thought when you got baptized, no, no, it just keeps on getting better. He said, I've come to, to, to get you in to the door. I've, I've come. He said, but there is one that's coming that is mightier than I, and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John said, Jesus has possession of something that I don't have right now. Jesus can do things for you that I cannot do for you. I know I'm sitting up here preaching the word to you, but you can't be looking at me as I am the Lord. Why? Because he is the Lord and I've got to decrease so he can increase. And guess what? He can give you access to things that I don't even have access to right now. And he was so in line with God's purpose. It was like he was saying, I am so confident in who God has called me to be that I'm okay to acknowledge I can no longer help you. You ever worked with somebody that thought they knew it all? You knew they didn't know it all. We've all been around that person. And you're like, would you just please admit you don't know how to do it? Anybody ever been there? He didn't have the problem. Why? Because his core was in order. He knew who he was called to be. He knew what was going to happen. He said, I'm going to baptize you in water, but he's going to baptize you in fire. Fire is this intimate relationship with God. He said, you need to be baptized in water, but you also need the fire. This will wreck a lot of people's theology. You can be saved and be in the faith but that doesn't mean you were on fire. I don't know about you, but I know a lot of cold Christians. Can anybody testify? I know a lot of cold churches. Can anybody testify? You walk in the church, nobody says hello to you. You walk in and the worship's going on and they look like they're mad. Anybody ever been there? It's like, I don't even know if the Lord could even move through, through, 
through the Arctic that was in the church. It was so cold. You can be of the faith, but it doesn't mean that you are on fire. And I think that if, that if there was any good that came out of this whole thing called the pandemic, I believe it revealed to us those of us that, on, those of us that are on fire and those that just smell like smoke. Mm. You learned really, really quick. You learned who was on fire and who just smelled like the smoke because some of us thought we were on fire. It was all going good. Woo! It was great. You just had the latest Maverick City CD downloaded. It was good. You knew it all. It was precious. You thought you were on fire, but during the isolation of the pandemic and during the quarantine, whether you, no matter how many days you had to quarantine, we realized that the church was on fire, but we just smelled like smoke. Hmm. We realized that we were around the fire when everybody got together and started to worship, I mean, it was just like fire up in there. I mean, any, any sinner could have walked down uh, off the streets and down into the altar and just got saved. I mean, it was so good. It was like fire was on the altar. And we realized that we were around the fire and we got around people and we started to worship. But when we got along, the fire left and we just smelled like the smoke. We smell like smoke because we had been around the fire but not close enough to the fire to catch on fire. Whew. And now there was a bunch of these Christians walking around not on fire, just smelling like smoke. And we've come to realize that we felt the heat from our neighbor. We've come to realize that, 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 we've, that we've created this codependency on somebody else's fire. So we don't have to sacrifice for the fire ourselves. Ooh, this is better than you are acting. Because let me tell you something. Some of you, some people in the church, you may be watching right now. And, 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 and you, want, you want the band to be so on point. But you don't know how long they have to be here to get on point. You want them to be on fire so you don't have to come in here and stoke the fire yourself. We've created this codependency on the pastor. If he preaches the right word, I may say amen today, but it just depends on how, how hot that word is that he's dropping in my lap today. And here we are. It's funny, but it's real. We've created a codependency on the church to get us on fire. We've created codependency on the pastor to preach us into the fire. We've created codependency on the band. If they play the right song and it's in the right key and it's the right tempo, I'm going to feel the fire today. And we've created all of this and we realized that the church was on fire, but our own homes doesn't even smell like smoke. God wants your house on fire. He wants house fires. Not only does he want your core of your church, but he wants to be the core of your house. Because if he can get your house on fire, if the Lord can get your entire house on fire, demons would leave your house alone. Whew. If he can get your entire house on fire, we, we wouldn't have to prime and pump and have pep rallies and prayer meetings to get you to worship on a Sunday morning. I'll see you next week.
You are supposed to bring the fire into the church. You bring your fire that you've been stoking all week long and you lay it on the altar and you say, Lord, have your way in this place. Have your way in this place. Because you know what? If you brought the fire with you, we would all be like a bunch of Davids walking in and said, I will enter his gate with thanksgiving. A lot of you walk through the gate and you're like, I can't even feel anything up in here yet. Oh, I need somebody. I need a water. Somebody give me a cappuccino. I need a donut. What's happening at the house? I'm sure I'm hungry. I can't even worship. I haven't had anything to eat in 30 minutes. It's reality. Because you have a codependency on something external. But you need to fix your internal. So you know where, what is going to happen with your eternal. Your core. You've been looking. Listen. We've been looking for churches that are on fire because our homes are not. We've been looking for churches, pastors that are on fire because we can't even spend five minutes in the word ourselves. And I need somebody to preach me hot like a fajita. I need somebody to bring it because I can't even get in the word five minutes for myself. I can't even pray for myself, so I need somebody to lay hands on me. And here we are in this moment. We're looking for churches that are on fire because our homes are not. Let me set this straight. Revival doesn't happen when the church gets on fire. Revival happens when homes start catching on fire and neighborhoods start catching on fire. And you go tell your neighbor, look what the Lord has done. He saved my drunken husband. He pulled my kids to do. Look what the Lord has done. That's a revival. Man, help me out. Fire consumes. When you are on fire and the enemy runs up into you on your life, he cannot get in because the fire will consume him. There will be things that come at you that will not be able to get into your house because of an all-consuming fire. Here are three things. Jot these down quickly. Here are three things that you need that can help you catch on fire. One, another fire. You've got to make room for fire and take seriously two areas in the Bible where fire falls, and that is during prayer and worship. Prayer and worship. I'm going to step on somebody's toes. Don't hate me. I'll see you next Sunday. Listen, do not come in late to worship. Don't you do it. Because every minute you miss of a corporate time is taking something away from your fire. You can be in the Word and still not experience the one who the Word is about. Prayer and worship is how you encounter Him. When you are learning from the Word, we see two areas where the fire is falling. During prayer and during worship. 
they were in that upper room and they were praying and they were worshiping and all of a sudden they heard the sound as like a mighty rushing wind and cloven tongues of fire rested upon each of them and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. One, you need to find a fire. Two, you need friction. Some of you can testify. Who in here has got some friction in your life right about now? Somebody testify. Friction. Somebody that rubs you the wrong way. I just ruined your day, didn't I? Maybe your mother-in-law. Maybe your boss, co-worker, that one who will not stop talking. She chews with her mouth open. Oh, gosh. You're just looking at her like, would you stop? Friction. Like you learned in Boy Scouts, two sticks rubbing together. Just rubbing you the wrong way. Rubbing you the wrong way. Some fire only comes when there is friction. David said, it was good for me that I was afflicted. It was good for me that there was friction in my life. I'm so thankful you lied about me. I'm so thankful you gossiped about me. I'm so so thankful you tried to destroy me. Because what was friction? Guess what? God is using that thing that you meant to harm me. God is using that friction. And he's turning it around for fire in my spirit. Get this. Sometimes we try to pray people out of friction. But God has them in friction because they need to be in a fire. That thing that you've been praying, God is trying to use it to ignite a fire in your life. But the fire will be a result of the friction. The Word said it is a greater weight You need fire, you need, or you need friction, or three, you need fuel. Every believer has to ask at some point, what am I allowing people to pour on me? There are some people that are fire starters, and some people in your life that will be fire killers. And they will walk around every time you get joy and Stomp out your fire. You walk in on Monday morning. Oh, I got the peace of the Lord. And they'll come and be like, and they will stomp out your fire. You'll come in on Wednesday and testify. You come in Thursday and testify about what happened Wednesday at your small group. And they're looking at you going, stomp it out your fire. Who are the fire killers in your life? You need to make a list. Check it twice. Don't you hang around fire killers. What are you allowing people to pour on you when it comes to fire, when it comes to your core? Everything that is being poured on you in life is either going to be fuel or water. 
It's either going to ignite something in you or try to put it out. There are, listen, there are some, your house cannot even catch on fire because of the stuff that you allow to be poured out in your home, to be seen, to be heard, to be watched, to be looked up. Your house can't even catch on fire. I believe that God is calling to Christians. God is calling the church to get your house in order because the trumpet is about to sound. Some of you, you need to go pull out every TV out of every kid's bedroom. Throw away their Xbox. Lock it up until they get 21 years old and can pay for it for themselves. Why? Because it's either fuel or water. It's water. It's putting the fire out. And when you are on fire, God will give you this discerning spirit about who and what is being poured into you. I've been to some places I told Sarah I said I don't know about that person don't you be around that person it was my first day at a church long time ago y'all don't even know where it is so don't even try to guess it I was walked in and this lady walked up to me and I said Sarah never leave me alone with that woman again I said there is something about her I'm trying to say I don't know what it is don't you leave me alone and I'm about two months later, she was having an affair on her husband. I said, don't you ever leave me alone with that woman again. When you got the fire, God will give you a discerning spirit so you can see through and see, are you a fire starter or did you come to kill my fire?